Welcome back to Think Deeper. I'm your host, Joe Wilkie, joined as always by Jack Wilkie and Will Harab. We have a fantastic episode today, uh, something that has actually been in the works a little while. We have been mulling on this, studying for this, thinking about this, and, and talking about it for probably a few months, actually. I think we've we've had this one um, cooking. So we're excited to bring it to you. Before that, though, fellas, before we just jump right in, anything that we need to get to right off the top? I don't know that we had anything planned of, of, you know, as always, we always push our followers. Join us on Patreon. Uh, join the discussion. We always love the discussion. It's, uh, you know, occasionally we'll pull from Facebook and such, but the deep end really is for those Patreon subscribers. They comment underneath each episode and then we get back to it. And I don't know about you guys. I enjoy that like a lot. So I love getting on and being able to rehash some things and go over some things with the things we missed on each episode. And so... It's kind of nice, you know, after three, three or four days after the episode is dropped, we've had more thoughts on it since then, you know, so yeah. kind of decompressed a little bit and just to get the different perspective from the listeners is definitely something I've always enjoyed because, you know, we'll talk about the subject for an hour on the podcast. Somebody will bring something up and it's like, wow, we didn't either, either never thought of that or didn't cover that. And it's like, perfect. Gives us an outlet to, to talk about it a little bit more. So, and, and let me say this, you know, you may be like, oh, I get 10 minutes extra content. No. No, we usually go for like 30. We've gone 45 just, minutes on some. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're almost getting an entire second podcast. We just enjoy it a lot. So if you enjoy listening to us, if that's something that you're interested in, uh, check us out, you know, and, and maybe do it for a month. You'll get four. What is that? Yeah, four episodes in a month. If you time it right, you might get uh, you might get five uh, right in there as, as to how it works. And you'll get the entire back catalog. If there's a an episode that you're interested in listening to, you can go back and find that. But fellas, without and everything else, I mean, understudied scriptural focus, everything, you yeah. know, articles, sermon cast, daily content, really. I mean, daily content. There's something going up literally almost every day of the week. So yeah, um, we'll, we'll push that one more time since we have nothing else, but without any further ado, we'll, um, we'll get into the, today's episode. So Jack, I'm actually going to have you lead this one because this is an outline you put together, but also something I know that you've put a lot of study into. Jack, Will and I have both studied, but again, you created the outline and you're also older. So you remember some of these more. Yeah, so this <laughs> is uh, in there. yeah, I know it. I'm always yep. got to be the old guy. <laughs> of course, uh, this is something that is of great interest, and I don't know really what put it back on on like the front burner for me. But over the years, especially of my lifetime, uh, the evangelical church, Christendom, whatever term you want to use, whatever you're comfortable with, you know, somebody might say Christianity, and somebody would take issue with that. Whatever term you want to use has seen the rise and fall of some serious movements, some things that kind of really caught caught fire for a while and then faded out. Others that are still going, but have taken on different permutations. Others where some principles got in place and a lot of the baggage kind of got dropped over time. There's just been a lot of things, things that really took the world by storm that like everybody who went to church somewhere heard about or knew about or was even a part of. Um, some of these that we're going to get are a little bit more niche, but there's just things like that. Uh, you, you might remember, I mean, it kind of depends of a certain age, but we're going to talk about mega churches and the rise in the 80s and 90s. We're going to talk about smaller things like I kissed dating goodbye, you know, things like that, that again, everybody was talking about for a short amount of time. And then you look around and go, well, where where does that stand now? I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I think it's kind of the Gamaliel principle of you know in in acts where they're persecuting the church and he says hey guys let's 
Let's give him a little see breathing how this shakes room. out, basically. See how this shakes out. Let's see, you know, if, if it's not from God, it's not going to last. And we've got that hindsight on some of these things. Some of these things are still going. And so that'll be interesting in themselves. The other thing is why this matters to us in the churches of Christ, because some people are going to listen to this like, oh, that's Baptists. That's so-and-so. Why, why do we care about Southern Baptist Convention politics or whatever? These things come into our churches. I mean, a lot of our preachers and and ourselves. I mean, like we're tuned into these things. I kissed dating goodbye. That came into the churches of Christ. You know, uh, crazy love that came into the churches of Christ. Uh, Andy Stanley, Tim Keller. These guys are heavily influential. Some of uh, the, you know, some even of, of our listeners, some of your favorite podcasters and writers are fans of some of these guys we're going to talk about. You know, like these are uh has a big impact on the churches of christ too so there's there's a lot of reasons to look at this stuff well and I'm, the word i would use is fruit take a look at what are, what are the fruits of these things what are the fruits of the the mega church movement is as, as, as jack already referenced what are the fruits of go ahead and spoil the outline a little bit further the emergent church movement which was kind of a reaction to it we're going to look at all these things again because especially with some as we get towards the end it's not like every single one of these was bad on the merits, right? Like these are just, you know, they, they, they don't have any redeemable qualities. There's nothing legitimate about them. We need to completely, um, uh, you know, shut them off or whatever. The reason that some of these were appealing is because they did have elements of truth. There's at least some of them. I'm not going to say all of them did, but they did have something that was appealing. They did have something that looked that people looked at it and went, hmm, I can get behind that. That's pretty legitimate. The problem is for a lot of them, there were a lot of other things that, really took it down the the wrong road. And so, um, Joe, I don't know if you have any further comment on um, as we kind of intro this, but we're going to start with the mega church movement. We've got several guys that um, Jack has put on the list that are big names in that in that realm. And so, fellas, I don't know if we just want to kind of go down the list and go over each. There's there's obviously kind of a common theme with a lot of these guys. You've got um, Bill Hybels or William Hybels, I guess, um, is the first one we got on our list. Uh, he's pretty significant for unfortunate reasons. Um, Willow Creek Community Church in uh, South Barrington, Illinois, um, recently stepped down because of a pretty blatant sexual scandal. Um, but he was one of these guys that was just um, started the church and it may exploded like tons, like thousands and thousands of people. Um, charismatic guy. You see that a lot with some, with these guys is that they're charismatic and they they have a tendency to draw people to them. This guy, you know, again, news came out that he had sexually assaulted women, and it was it was a big news story um, there a couple of years ago. And so, guys, again, I don't know if we're just going to go down the list on some of these guys, but any any comment on on Hybels? And I guess kind of the point that I wanted to start with: why are these guys so appealing? Why are these guys they're 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 so um, magnetic in a way, again, the, the charisma that they have that just draws people to where they can have they can be they can start a church with a couple hundred people, all of a sudden they've got 3000 people attending their church. What is it in y'all's opinion that, that, that works that magnetism in so many ways? I would say appealing is, it's an interesting word you use there because that's literally it. And this, a lot of the mega church thing uh, gets associated with the term seeker sensitive. He basically invented that. Like this is, this is his thing. He was the blueprint and then he, Hybels got this job. Talking, right? yeah, Hybels. he got this job at this church and went into that community and basically did market research, demographic research of who are the people, what do they want in a church? What are they looking for? What do they care about? And and what are their values? What are their interests? You know, the, the things they would want to do. All right, let's go be that for them and say, hey, we got it for you. 
that's just marketing. And that's, you know, in my book, Church Reset, I, I've been very critical of that in that churches looked and said, it's very businesslike. And, and that is a great practice for a business. If you're going to build a restaurant in a community, a store, a, you know, whatever kind of business you're going to do, you figure out who your customers are. Well, that creates church customers, but that was his movement. And man, it grew, it got big. And like I said, that's the blueprint that a lot of these other guys were going to talk about. They're just doing what he did. Now they've adapted it. They've done some things better or they've, they've improved on it. And I hate to use the word improved because I think it's a bad thing, but like they've, they've added to it or whatever, but that was the blueprint was give the people what they want. That's something that's actually very, very interesting is like somewhere along the way. And I don't know, I think some of these go back to the eighties really where it seems to have exploded. We're, we're starting with this one. I don't know the timeline exactly. I think he was late seventies, early eighties is like I was saying, it's kind of the, the, the prototype. Yeah, I had it pulled up. I thought it was like 1982 when he something okay. around the, either right, way, yeah, either right way. around 80. Yeah, right around 80, you know, somewhere around there. Uh, no, in the early 70s, he was studying it. So and then he kind of figured out and that's this is all on Wikipedia. You can go find him while I was reading about him. Very interesting. Um, he hears this lecture, challenge the class, the the lecturer challenged class about an Acts 2 based church. And he's captivated, decides to abandon his business aspirations for ministry like no, he didn't. <laughs> he just realized <laughs> he very much that, kept that, his that, business that, aspirations. That's exactly it. Yep. And that's you realize somewhere along the way, and maybe it is in the 70s, these guys started looking at the church as like a money-making operation. Wow, we can make a lot of money with this. And I don't know if that's exactly what they're looking at, but to your point, Jack, what makes these guys so appealing? What makes these guys so magnetic? They're salesmen. Have you ever dealt with like a, a legitimate salesman and, you know, maybe pharmaceuticals or whatever else? The guys that make the big bucks, the they guys are that are really good talking. at what they do, right. they are smooth. They know exactly how to market. They know what to do. Hybels was, as you said, Jack, kind of a marketing genius. And a lot of these guys we're going to cover. They're all fantastic marketers. They know how to push the brand. They know how to get people in the door. That is the seeker sensitive. That is the, um, you know, just the, the I don't know if you want to call it person driven. I know we're going to get into to Rick Warren and, and the purpose driven life and such, but like the programs that they offer and the things that they do are all driven toward getting people in the door. Now, getting them to be, you know, getting them to be solid Christians, getting them to do that. Not necessarily. We're going to cover as we've already kind of spoiled. Well, crazy love Francis Chan. His was a different take, even though he had a mega church. So not all mega churches are created equal, but specifically with Hybels, I already mentioned Rick Warren. There's a couple others we can get into. They're just very smooth marketers and salesmen. And, and that's honestly, I think what separates them from most pastors, quote unquote. I was just going to bring up what's interesting is we've talked about before how getting Christianity to, to be accepted in a world that is positive toward Christianity, neutral toward Christianity and negative towards Christianity Back in the, whenever this was starting back in the eighties, it's a whole lot different world than what it is now. Um, Jack, you've studied that a little bit more. Would that be, have been considered more positive toward Christianity or more neutral towards Christianity? Yeah. It's kind of geographically dependent uh, on where you were, but yeah, I mean, and that's Aaron Wren's thing. I'm a huge proponent. Everybody needs to read Aaron Wren's three worlds. Um, But yeah, it it was more positive. And so it was easier. And when we, we're going to get into Tim Keller in a minute is the neutral world strategy. But yeah, go ahead with the the positive world. I was just going to say the reason that I brought that up is because as they're trying to figure, as these guys are kind of trying to figure out how to market to, hey, what what do they need? What do they want? That probably was a lot easier to do in a world that was kind of open to and positive towards Christianity. I'm curious, and I know, of course, there's there's mega churches today, but I'm curious if if like if if Hybels 
life was fast forwarded 50 years and he was starting this now, if it would have had the same effect in a world that is incredibly negative toward Christianity. You know what I mean? Like the fa- the the exponential growth that these guys saw in the 80s just makes me makes me think in that world that was more positive. It was more conducive to it, I guess, is my point. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think we're going to talk about a name here in a minute of who is what it would look like if if I was trying to do it yeah. today. And it, it's not good. It's it, it got <laughs> way worse. Um, while we're still well, on here, Joe. Oh, well, no, hold on. I want to back up yeah, to a yeah, point yeah. you said a minute ago about the Acts 2 thing. Sure. I have heard a lecture. I heard it a couple different times. This guy gave the same one at a couple Church of Christ conferences of a guy who was kind of saw like oversaw like a Church of Christ version of a Bill Hybels thing where started at a church that was small and spent decades there in ministry. And by the time he retired, it was gigantic. And his lecture was on, you know, being an Acts 2 church. And I'm like, oh, cool, an Acts 2 church. It's, well, you know, they were fellowshiping every day. So we would put on these meals for people and they could come. Anybody in the community could come. And, you know, we would just, you know, buy food for everybody. Like, that's that's not what they were doing in Acts 2. And, you know, they had this. And so we started this program. And they like, this is Bill Hybels. And, and so when I was saying earlier, this came full-fledged into the churches of Christ, this strategy. And the thing about it is, you know, you said earlier they found a way to make money. And I don't want to be quite so cynical. It just made numbers the focus. More people in the door, the better. And yeah, we want as many people converted as possible, but those aren't converted people. And, you know, they might point to Acts 2 and the thousands or whatever. I always point back to John 6. Jesus saying, Jesus holding to the things they didn't want to hear because he's like, you're just here for free bread. These guys didn't get the lesson of that chapter. They said, hey, we got free bread. More, You guys like bread? Let's hear some more bread. Yeah. What I was going to go back to is how much do you think they were prepped or the way was prepped for them by Billy Graham, which we don't have on our outline, but the Billy Graham movement of having bazillion people show up and, and pledge their life to Jesus through the sinner's prayer or whatever else, like he was already getting traction with having a lot of people show up, but it was from place to place. So it seems like the outline, so to speak, was already there. Like the structure was already there for people to really almost lose themselves in the moment, so to speak. And I feel like these guys capitalized on that movement more than anybody else in recognizing people do want feel good. There's a a term and I can't remember, maybe R.C. Sproul, somebody, um, maybe R.C. Sproul Jr. had um, said the term moral therapeutic deism. No, that was other people, but other people. Yeah, maybe maybe he references. There you go. You're more well-versed in those things. But the moral therapeutic deism, I think, is is spot on specifically for these guys, which is there's a morality aspect. Like, they'll, it's not that they're bad preachers in terms of they never speak on morality. They're moral, and it's kind of therapeutic, make you feel good. Wow, I'm a good person. I showed up to church today. That's really good. And it's deism, which is God really doesn't, he doesn't come into every part of life, right? He kind of stays on the outside. And so you He's just kind of out good. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so... I think that to me kind of sets apart these mega churches where everybody comes in and feels really good. And now we got a ton of them back in it's a community church movement, which blends in. We're not ready for the emergent church. I think some of those blend in, but like Red well, Rocks community church is huge. And so you're starting to see like smaller individual ones where you've never heard of the pastor. You've never heard of the the main guy, but they're starting to crop up even more, which is kind of to your point, Will, what would it look like today? They're just getting more and more out there so as to get people in the door is what it seems like to me. Well, yeah, and that makes sense. I want to talk and we can go ahead and move, throw, throw in some other names here. Sure. Um, uh, again, I didn't know if we were going to just you know spend 10 minutes on each I, name because that would take a while. I think go it ahead. makes sense to move through the phases. Bill Hybels, positive world, neutral world, Tim Keller, and then we'll, we'll get on to the negative world guy. But go ahead. Yeah, so I, but I wanted to talk about um, kind of just the, the whole idea that 
with these mega churches, because this is going to set up the next section that we're talking about. It was so focused on kind of the slick appeal, kind of the, there wasn't a lot of deep biblical teaching to it. It was just a, a matter of let's get people in the door. The, the, the relationships weren't there, I guess is my point. And so I didn't know from what you guys, because the, the Hybels, the Rick Warrens, the, the Mahaney's, these guys, you see a lot of the, the, the real big name guys, Olstein. And I think Furtick is one of these guys these days who it's all about what God's plan for your life, right? What, what, what does God have planned for you? The Jeremiah 29, 11 gets misquoted all the time. And it's very individual focused as far as this is, this is what God's plan for your life is. And you're called to a greater purpose. And where's the, biblical teaching i guess and so i didn't know if, if a lot of these guys from y'all's research i know the ones we're going to get to here at the end don't really have a lot of biblical backing but were these guys hybels warren mahaney some of these guys was it more of a they just kind of misuse a lot of the bible or their teaching was not founded on a lot of the bible um because that was something that we were as we were talking about with prepping for this episode it was very personality driven less textually driven and more personality driven um but because of the reaction to it that we're going to get to here in a bit that seemed to want to go back to more of a relationship biblical picture, um, I didn't know what y'all had found as far as how much into the Bible did these guys get? Was it very surface level or did they have elements where, no, that that is that's solid biblical teaching. They just went off the rails in this area. Does that make sense? I think they just kept it very shallow on purpose. Uh, they, like they didn't yeah. declare the whole council. And, and so that's. You know, it's very easy to emphasize certain parts of Jesus, the appealing parts of Jesus. And and you'll see some of these guys, the Tim Kellers or whatever of, you know, well, people say they don't like God, but I don't like that version of God either. Like some people just don't like God. Like that's kind of right. I mean, first Corinthians one talks about the, the way the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's like this stench of death. Like they think this is horrible. If if your appeal of your Christianity is no, I promise you'll like it if you saw the real version of it, like. It's an acquired taste. And so the Bible teaching they gave was to keep the bitter parts, the painful parts, the the toe stepping parts away from people and just try and flatten the path into salvation, into the church. Just it's all comfort. It's all whatever. Well, gets it's kind of the, the and it's kind of the, the buddy buddy approach, right? Like let's rub elbows. Let's, hey, let's get you to get you to like me. Let's let's, you know, market Jesus and market Christians as amicable as possible. When we do read in the New Testament, no, Christ did come to bring division. Like Christ did not come for everybody to to like him, for everybody to like us. And, you know, since we're talking about Keller here, um, he's one of the bigger, bigger names, I would say. Of all these guys, I'd heard of some of them, Jack, before you sent the outline together. But when, you know, I saw Keller on there, I was like, okay, yeah, I know, a lot of people know who Keller is. He very much, at least from my research, and he passed away, what was it, last year, I believe? A few months um, ago, yeah. A few months ago. Um his big thing, I watched a video about somebody was point blank asking him about homosexuality and, you know, you know, is homosexuality a sin? What is the church's position on, on homosexuality? And obviously, you know, wanting him to step in and wanting him to, to, you know, have people outraged at him. But man, did Keller, Keller took six minutes to not answer the question. Keller took six minutes to kind of dance around it. And well, you know, in the same way, greed is a sin. And, and, uh, and then he, he even talked about, cause somebody, the guy followed up with him and was like, so will homosexuals be in heaven essentially? And again, Keller danced around it, didn't really answer it and talked about how those who won't be in heaven are those who are kind of like the, the pharisaical minds of thinking that they know the way. And when, when you have to submit your, submit your life to Christ and let him, his Lordship over it, 
And the guy again was like, I'm asking about homosexuals, basically. And he again, he didn't want to answer it because deep down, these guys know this is what the Bible teaches on it. I can't come out and say that and still be liked by everybody. And that again, that that was glaring off the screen with Keller and with the next guy that, you know, even worse that we're going to talk about. But that's that's what I what I saw with a lot of my research on these guys is, hey, we can't say the things that are going to make people upset. Um, and even, you know, in the last 10 years, 15 years, the homosexuality agenda, the homosexual movement has ramped up even more to the point where I, I remember when I was young, it was still fairly common for people to come out and say, no, I don't think that that's right. I mean, wasn't it President Obama before he uh, was elected? His stance was one man, one woman. Now, if a presidential candidate ever came out and said that, their career would be over. You know, it's it's gone. It's it's come so far in the sense that you can't say that anymore. Now, now we moved on to transgenderism is, is the new thing. Um, and so, anyway, with back to Keller here, that's that's what I saw with a lot of these guys is we can't say things that are going to not make that are going to make us unliked. And so we'll dance around it a little bit. We'll try to try to push a grace message and try to basically blow a bunch of smoke in your face and hope you don't see through what the Bible actually says. I think they're. I think the heart behind it is if they don't like us, if we don't get them in the door, they have no chance for Jesus. Therefore yeah. we'll go soft on some of the more difficult doctrine. And that way they come in the door and we get them to, you know, we get them to come to Jesus type of thing. And then we can start working on it. And the problem is if you compromise all the way here, you're going to compromise. Even, even after they come to Jesus, you'll continue to compromise. Cause at what point is he going to be in his church and take a stand on that? And it, as we know, as preachers of the congregation, you have to take stand on things. He doesn't because I think that's honestly his his thoughts of, well, we'll just get him in the door. And this is going to keep people away from God. Like, that's the whole point is it's not for everyone. It is, as Jack said, an acquired taste. I guess going back to your question about is anybody, um, how did you phrase it? Basically, does does anybody speak truth or does anybody have like difficult, biblical messages? It would depend on how we define megachurch. Nowadays, we can look at like Joel Osteen as being the the biggest mega church or whatever, because what does he have, like 35,000, something like that? I mean, it's just insane. Um, however, you do have guys like Tony Evans. You do have guys like John MacArthur that, though, no, I don't think that they are Christians, New Testament Christians, and I don't believe in their doctrine and I, you know, and, and everything. I also know they have some difficult and, and like rougher biblical messages in terms of talking about fatherhood and talking about, I mean, John MacArthur is one of those that stood up against COVID. So, we can they say less can popular things. Yeah, correct. I, I don't know that you can call them. I don't know if you want to call them mega churches. I think Tony Evans has like 10,000, which is a mega church to me. But to me, they stand apart. They're a little bit separate from some of these other guys we're talking about from the Tim Kellers right. and, and the Andy Stanleys, which we're about to get to. Um, so I think some of them do. And I think some of these guys do have the right heart behind it. But I guess the people we're really pushing is more just the program again, the seeker sensitive type uh, congregations, there are big churches now that don't do that. And I don't know that I would classify those mega churches, but does that make sense? I mean, would you guys classify a John MacArthur church as a mega church? I feel like it stands apart from like a Rick Warren saddleback. It is in the size. It just in approach. It is different. You're right. Yeah. Um, so with Keller, there's a word I want to hit before we get out of here. And, and looking at the time, this might end up being a two part episode because I, like, I don't want to shortchange any of this. There's some really important stuff here. So we'll see. Um, with Keller, the word that really came up a lot is winsome, winsome yep. witness. Winsome, and, yep. you know, his his thing, he was in New York City and he was, again, we, we talked about Highball's blueprint. Keller gave what was considered the blueprint for engaging big cities. You know, cities are hard. Cities are, 
not Christian. They're, they're not very, you know, believing or whatever. And so, but he built this church up the Redeemer Presbyterian in New York city. And it was the neutral world thing. Neutral world is when you tell somebody on the street, I'm a Christian. They don't care. Like, okay, good for you. That's fine. But I, I don't, I don't think better of you, but I don't think worse of you. Now we're in a time where in New York city, you know, you know a lot of people are going to think, Oh, you're one of those hateful bigots. That's negative world in the neutral world. Keller's approach going into New York City in the early 90s was, all right, the world's ambivalent on us. Let's show them that we're likable. Let's be winsome mm -hmm. towards them. And that's what leads to the whole, hey, is homosexuality a sin? You know, kind of like nodding while shaking his head. <laughs> kind of. Right. So he famously, a couple of years ago, had a tweet thread about abortion and Again, oh, yeah. the same oh, thing. Uh, like this is this is the cultural engagement approach that he had, and you know, of course, there's we're very much in favor of abortion should be outlawed, and this is awful. It's murder, and uh, he said, number one, well, look at this. Here are two biblical, or we shouldn't destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. So you vote for a pro-abortion, you vote against it. Well, we we're all Christians together. There's there's really not any difference. You've got to say that to your New York City audience or they're not going to like you. And so he goes on here to biblical moral norms. It is a sin to worship idols or any God other than the true God. Do not murder. And number two, if you ask evangelicals if we should be forbidden by law to worship any other God than the God of the Bible, they'd say no. We allow that terrible sin to be legal. But if you ask them if Americans should be forbidden to, uh, forbidden to uh, by law to abort a baby, they'd say yes. Why make the first sin legal and never talk about it and the second sin illegal and a main moral political talking point? Okay, so I'm so sorry. Hang on. So his insinuation is let's just legalize murder. That, that's the logical conclusion I'm coming to there. Yeah, well, exactly he, he's this is his sophistry that he does. Like he makes right, it sound right. like he's really, really thinking through some stuff. And it's like it's not that deep, man. So he goes on. The Bible tells us that idolatry, abortion and ignoring the poor are all grievous sins. Look at this e e equivocation, really. Uh, but it doesn't tell us exactly how we are to apply these norms to a pluralistic democracy. I know abortion is a sin, but the Bible doesn't tell me the best political policy to decrease or end abortion in this country, nor which political or legal policies are most effective to that end. We're allowed to debate that. And so our churches should not have disunity over debatable political differences. I'm sorry. If you have somebody who's pro-abortion in your church, they need to be confronted, disciplined, and eventually disfellowshipped. But he wouldn't do that because you don't get the numbers. You can't be winsome right. in New York City. If you walk out into New York City and be like, this is a sin and we are stomping our foot down until this is outlawed. And so well, he comes Jack up with that stuff and and people buy it. People think, yeah, the Bible doesn't say how to get involved politically about abortion. I mean, come on, man. This is so but easy my to see through. My point with the murder, and Jack, you brought this up, is let's run other things through that filter. You brought up slavery. What if he came out and said that about slavery? That wouldn't go over as well. What if he came out and said that about rape? Well, yeah. you know, we're, the Bible doesn't tell us, or I guess, you know, how we should politically decide on what rape. No, like, of course not. But it's because abortion is the hot button issue. But like, you can't run other things through that filter. But that's the not logical implication of what he's saying. And what what I wanted to bring up here, and then Joe, I'll hand it over to you. Very good. If there's one message that I let's say I was a complete, you know, observer from the outside, impartial observer. And I was listening to the message of a lot of these guys, and we can go ahead and get into Andy Sanley as well. My take, main takeaway from it would be I can be a partial Christian. I can be a half-hearted Christian. I can be a sort of lukewarm Christian, and that's totally okay. That is Theological totally minimalism okay. is fine. The, 
God only cares about this much of your life. Exactly. What does Jesus say? You've got to forsake everything to be my disciple. If you don't forsake everything, you can't be my disciple. Man, is that not the message that these guys are sending? These guys are sending the message of it's okay to be a sort of Christian, a partial Christian, a half-hearted Christian. And the reason why, as we talked about, this can leak into the church. We don't necessarily have anybody getting up and preaching that like a lot of these guys pretty much are. But what do we kind of insinuate in a lot of congregations? Hey, you, you show up twice a month. Awesome. We're so glad that you're here. But hey, come back and come to the fellowship meal. Come to this event. Oh, you're not going to? Okay, no problem. Um, Hey, you know, see them again in three weeks after they've disappeared. Man, we're so glad to see you. We insinuate the exact same thing in the churches of Christ, that being a partial Christian, you can go and dress however you want to at the beach. You can go do whatever you want to on the weekends. You can go live however you want, support whatever political um, agenda you want. But hey, as long as you're here in the doors on Sunday morning and I have quote unquote place membership, we're going to accept you and that's going to be great. It's this accepting of partial Christians, of half-hearted Christians. These guys are the poster boy for the Kellers, the Stanleys. That has leaked into the church, and that is why a lot of this is so dangerous. So uh, we uh, on the winsome thing, and then I'm going to get to the one other point on Keller that will get us into Stanley because they he he again has carried this torch. You know, we write stuff at Focus Press, and we get people criticizing us. Man, what is the world going to think? Right. That's winsomeness. You know, I wrote earlier this year about the LGBT movement is giving cover for pedophilia. Like that is what they're moving towards, and man. I, I had other preachers like, I can't believe he wrote that. I, like the world is going to, you know, they're going to be like, it's true. You, you, you're not debating that I'm true. You're saying that's not winsome enough. That's the, the fruit of this is people have that approach. The other thing that Tim Keller is very famous for, which will move us forward in the outline, is the religion is bad thing. Oh, yeah. you know, uh, you hate religion. I do, too. Like, dude, you're a millionaire because of selling books uh, and preaching for a church. To religious, religion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, to religious people. Nobody's buying that. Nobody's buying that you dislike religion. But then he twists the definition into whatever he wants it to be. And what he means is legalism. What he means is Phariseeism. He, you know, but he, he equates that with religion. And what's the yeah. fruit of that? It's a lot of people going, I hate religion, too. So I'm not coming to church. And we can see Keller kind of like, wait, no, that's not what I had in mind. But that's what he did. In fact, honest, uh, this is kind of funny. I just remembered. I actually debated this with him on Twitter like 10 years ago. I'm a nobody scrub with like 10 followers Whoa. and Tim Keller's going back and forth with me. No, doesn't mean that. I'm like, you're, I said exactly that to him. You're a church. Nobody believes you when you say you hate religion. Like this is, this is ridiculous. But you look at the fruits of that. How many millions of people that the stupid Jefferson Bethke video. And that was something Tim Keller said is, yeah, he got his terminology from me. Like, I, okay. So that I'll one has 30 dude, million. Man. Yeah. And, and, how many people have have drifted from Christianity in the last 20 years because I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual? That's Tim Keller's fault. I don't have a religion. I have a relationship with yep. God. Relationship right. over religion. And, and because right. he is very vague in the distinctions for winsomeness sake, he doesn't make the distinction to say, no, that doesn't mean you can't go to church. Like you don't go to church. Like that doesn't mean you're not involved or anything like that. He doesn't say that stuff. He lets you make it whatever you want, which is... Ah, you just you and I so hate to keep bringing it back to this, but you see a remnant of this in the Church of Christ. Yeah, I know I just brought that up, but you see that exact remnant of, well, we can't really say, hey, you're expected to be here every time the doors are open. We can't really say, hey, you, you really, your daughter really can't dress like that. We can't say those things. Why? Because they're going to leave. They're going to go somewhere else. That's going to ruffle or, uh, you know, uh, cause a ripple effect. That's going to ruffle some feathers. And so we can't say those things. 
that's exactly the fruit of what we're talking about. Well, and I mean, I think we're seeing the tone police, right? We've seen that more than almost anybody uh, because we come out and say it and it's like, whoa, 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 you can't say it's it's all driven by this. It's all the same thing of the tone police. Why does the tone matter? Well, because it's not very loving, brother. And and we, you know, you might really hurt some people. Like this is the winsomeness. This is the you can't say harsh truths. Like last time I checked, you look at some of the prophets. Pretty rough stuff when you're going against some of the things that we're taking. Or place. Jesus think, to the think about Jews. Pretty rough. Jonah stuff. took the approach to, to the Nineveh Bears, yeah. that uh, that Keller took to New York City. Yeah, exactly. Hey guys, I'm just like you. Yeah, man, I hate religion too. But you know, God. <laughs> I know you don't like like God, but he's probably more likable than you think. Like that wasn't no, the message. Man was man. like, God's gonna overthrow right. this city unless you repent. You're all That's gonna die. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe maybe New York needs a little bit of that right now. To be honest with you, as does California. But yeah, that moves us in our outline to Andy Stanley, who is the son of Charles Stanley. I don't think Charles was near as off the rails. I don't think he was right, but I don't think he was near as off the rails as his son is. I'll, Andy, I was, I was looking it up, and, and I hate to keep dropping numbers here. It's just mind-boggling. They have almost the, basically 38,500 people in attendance across eight locations in the North Metro Atlanta area for his North Point Community Church. Like He's a big deal, and he brings in tons, and he is the... If Tim Keller's the neutral world, Andy Stanley is the negative world. We are actively against Christianity. And this is, Jack, to your point, that's how we've how they have learned to kind of like reach into this negative world, negative viewpoint of Christianity is the winsomeness and is the, well, I hate religion too, because you have a lot of people now pushing that. I hate religion. I hate, I hate Christians because Christians do this and this and this. And basically they stand for biblical principles and they back away from that as much as possible. And Andy Stanley may be one of the worst at doing that. I mean, you watch the guy's video. Snake oil salesman is what comes to mind. Every opportunity he gets, he steps across the line, puts an arm around the world and talks about how bad the church is and how stupid Christians yeah. are. And yeah, guys, I, wanna, I get it, man. We, we're terrible. I want to encourage people, if you don't know who this guy is or maybe haven't, go watch a, a few, just a few YouTube videos and you'll get the exact picture of what we're talking about. All yeah. I did was do it, and I'd heard some of this stuff before, but in prepping for this episode, I just did a quick search, Andy Stanley on YouTube. And man, his top two, the top two like videos that came up are two of the most problematic, in my opinion, was one where Jack, exactly what Jack was talking about. He came out and he was basically like, listen to, to those out there who the church has hurt. I am so sorry. I, he must have said that four times and just, you know, constantly apologizing to the world for quote unquote, how the church is. It is kind of the whole, yeah, man, the church is awful guys, isn't it? Um, and then the other one which was that this the second one blew up even more is when he came out and he said you know people who are who are gay and still want to come to church they have more faith than you and I you know talking to the yeah. rest of his church members kind of the idea that gay people have more faith once again what's the point of that trying to have mass appeal trying to sure. make it seem like yes the church is awful and basically again you can you know basically putting a pat on the back to to homosexuality a pat on the back to the big taboo issue of the day that's his go-to that's you know again just watch those videos and you'll see exactly what we're talking about of constantly trying to 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 have mass appeal and constantly trying to to get the rest of the world to be buddy buddy right hey it's let's all world, you know, friendship with the world is james 4 4 hey you know we love gays we're gonna accept gays gay people have more faith in us type of thing that's that's the fruit of andy stanley well, and trading on the Jesus is the friend of sinners thing to paint every Christian who takes stands as the Pharisees. Oh, these are the guys trying to cast stones at you, and I'm not going to do that. And so I'm just going to run down the greatest hits. You had his one about, you know, apologizing to the world. You had the, you know, gay people have more faith than us. There was also the 
you know what, Christians, we need to realize the people in the world, they don't believe in the Bible. So we've got to stop quoting it to them or expecting them, you know, like using it against them. Like that's the point. That's that's we go and preach yep. the gospel to say this is true, but it's very much. Well, they don't believe it. So why are we saying to them? Uh, unhitched from the Old Testament. That was one that, that stirred up. Oh, that was a big one. Yeah. And people yeah, in the world, they just they don't like that. God killed a lot of people in the flood or in Canaan. And it's pretty hard to explain all that with Jesus. And our, our faith is in Jesus. I just wrote an article on Focus Plus. We're not New Testament Christians. We're biblical Christians. The whole thing belongs to us, including the Old Testament. But Stanley is very much of, well, he literally said we need to unhitch our faith from the Old Testament. Stop talking about it. Stop preaching about it. It's it's not our thing. All of this stuff. I mean, it is it's an abomination. It, it is horrible stuff here again. We're going to keep coming back to this. I can name Church of Christ preachers, podcasters and writers that you have heard of who go to Andy Stanley's conferences because Boy, he's good on church building. Boy, he's good on on evangelism. Boy, yeah, no wonder he's, he's good, good on, on church building. Yeah, no wonder. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, like again, these are not wacko was... out there Church of Christ guys. These are guys that you would know and and have heard of that think Andy Stanley hung the moon because he. Gets I a lot think of this. I think this was in his apologizing to the world video, but he had a line, and I was watching somebody else react to him saying this, where he was like, "You know, honestly, you know, those who are out there in the world." Your life is none of our business, and the per- the people responding to it were like, "What about the Great Commission?" And, you know, yeah. that kind of yeah. directly contradicts yeah. exactly what he just said. Like, yes, it is our business, but that's the whole appeal thing he's trying to go for. Of like, you know, we shouldn't interfere with you, let you live your life. You know, we have our, we shouldn't impose our rules on on you. That was that was kind of the big thrust of right. it. We shouldn't impose our Christian rules on you. You could use the it's Jonah terrible. thing again, or you know, Paul in Acts seventeen. Can you imagine him? You know what, guys, us Jewish people, us Christians, we've we've said a lot about our God and I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry about like yeah. we wouldn't exist. Like Christianity wouldn't or exist. Or Stephen. Yeah, yeah, to the, yeah. To the Pharisees. Yeah. If the apostles, if the early church, if if the book of Acts was filled with people who preached that message, there would not be a church. But they're smooth because they'll come in and say they'll know us by our love. We're supposed to be loving, and and you know, the God of the New Testament is very loving, of course, as they they say and almost separate them and and so they push the love and the love and the love and the love. Yes, we are to be known by our love, but what does that actually mean? They'll never they'll never define love because love is calling your brother out in sin. Love is maintaining the doctrine of the church to make sure that everybody's going to heaven type of thing, right? Like love encompasses all of that, but they just want everybody to feel good. So they get to define love and then beat you over the head for being a quote unquote Pharisee when you try to hold to any biblical standard, like you're saying. They just want to come in and push love. So this is, I don't know if there's a whole lot more we want to go into on the mega church side of it. One of the things you had put on here, and we've referenced is just that cult of personality. It's developing, and you see this, this is again, it's crossed over in a church Christ. The preacher wants to be loved, and he wants to have this personality that's like so fun and bubbly, and he's, he's wearing costumes, and he's doing all these things, and he's getting people in the door. No. I'm sorry, but that's, that's taking from these guys, like what's going to get people excited? What's going to get people in the door? And I guess I take a different stance. Look, we just had an entire uh, podcast on being excited for worship. No doubt. I think we need to be excited. I think we need to bring a lot to God. We need to we need to bring him our best. At the same time, I think you're starting to see this with preachers that don't really take themselves seriously. And they very much try to mimic these things where maybe they do take hardline stances. I'd like to think that the Church of Christ takes more hardline stances than these guys. At the same time, I think it's the same gimmicks. It's the same programs. It's the same everything else trying to get people in the door. And you see a lot of people that go, well, we just don't have enough for the kids. 
but this, this church doesn't really meet my needs for the kids. This church doesn't have a program for single people. This church doesn't have a program for X, Y, Z. And so they leave and we go, boy, they're right. We need to get another program. No, we don't. But the program type churches, that's where you're seeing mega churches on a mini scale is the charismatic preacher who tries to have the perfect personality for everybody to come in the doors and tries to put on the perfect programs to get as many people as possible. We're still focusing on numbers. Just because we don't have 30,000 doesn't make us a mega church in many form. One other way is that before I hand it to Jack real quick, one other thing, Joe, you just made me think of that I, I think it is mirrored. You talk about this cult of personality thing where you know people are following. They're not following Jesus. They're following Andy Stanley. They're not All following these guys Jesus. We've, they're we've, following. we've mentioned, we haven't even named their churches, just their name. Right, yep. just their names. That's right. I do not have a problem with you have a preacher that you highly respect that you want to listen to every now and then. But man, does this cult of personality thing bleed over sometimes into the church of Christ of honestly worshiping the ground that some quote unquote big name preacher walks on. I'm not going to name any names. Those of you who are very plugged into lectureship circles and things, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Of, oh my goodness. So-and-so speaking, we have got to be there. Oh my goodness. So, and you know, this is one of those things that again, there is nothing wrong with having Again, respect for somebody who, who preaches the truth and enjoying listening to the way that somebody teaches the gospel. Nothing wrong with that. But man, if you get into the whole, well, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so said this over here, but big name, pre insert big name preacher X said this. So that must mean that he's correct. It's like, okay, he's not an apostle. He's not Jesus. Let's, let's, let's pump the brakes a little let's bit. Yeah. This, this, yeah, this glorification of the role, this glorification of the person. Obviously there's nobody in the church of Christ that has the Andy Stanley personality that, you know, that is quite as big, but I still see kind of remnants of that as well, of chasing after the individual, following an individual rather than following the Bible. And in, in a lot of instances and following Jesus. And that's something we desperately need to, to uh, guard against in the church. For sure. Uh, you know, while we're talking denominational ministers, you just look back at history and the guys that drove change, Martin Luther, John Knox, Jonathan Edwards, like they were not, hey, we're just like you come in. You're going to love our church. You know, like you don't really have to do anything. And we're so sorry that we've been hard Jonathan on you. Jonathan Edwards was the opposite of that. <laughs> oh, my. All right. of these guys. Like, goodness. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's just, hey, sinners, stop it. Jesus has a problem with that and you he's Lord and you need to repent. And you look at, I say this a million times, I've written it a million times, the end of Luke, Jesus lays out what gospel is going to be preached. Death, burial, and resurrection, repentance of sins. You go to the book of Acts, what do they preach to the Jews on Pentecost? Death, burial, and resurrection, repentance of sins. What do they preach in Acts 3 on trial? Death, burial, and resurrection, repentance of sins. Paul goes cross-culturally to Athens, what does he preach? Death, burial, and resurrection, repentance of sins. You can't get away from that. There is no repentance in we're so sorry and we don't apply our standard to you and you know we want to be winsome and we're not going to tell you your sins are wrong because boy, you sure like them. Because the other thing that really is an issue with this is leaving people in their sins or, or being afraid to tell people. You're being afraid to tell someone they have cancer. Like, well, boy, they really like their cancer. They're, just, they're really comfortable in their cancer and they might not like me as a doctor if I tell them they have cancer. It's sin. It's killing them. It is robbing them of a relationship with God. It is a barrier to that. It is awful. The worst thing we can do is leave them in their sin. And yet you got to do that if you're going to get them in the door. Well, take your pick. You know, you're going to get and these people kind of have their their reward in full. And so it it's just I don't know. It, it, 
we could go well, on, it, on, on this particular thing for a long time, but I think we've made our point in, in the ways that it manifests to us as well. It speaks to the mis mischaracterization of the word love. And I, I'm sure we brought that up before. We talk about that a lot in, in the Church of Christ, I think rightly, in the sense that love does not mean tolerance and acceptance of behavior, which is kind of the message that a lot of these guys are peddling is yeah. they'll know us by our love. They'll know us by our love. Well, what do they mean? They mean, you know, be nice to them. Don't, you know, accept them, bring them in. Um, that's what they mean. Whereas the biblical definition of love, if I love my wife, I'm going to let her know that she's got cancer. I'm not going to, man, well, I really, I really don't want to offend her. I really don't want her to be upset. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. Of course not. I love my wife. I'm going to tell her, I think you've got cancer. That's a, that's a huge deal. And that's, that's, that's the true biblical definition of love. Just like with parents. Well, it's, it's really going to hurt them. If I spank them, it's, it's really going to, it, it might cause problems if I discipline them. So I'm just not going to discipline them. No, you love your kids. You discipline them. And so again, to use those two analogies, if we love our best friend down the street, if we love the people who, uh, if we truly, that is love the people who are outside of Christ, it's not going to be a matter of, well, you know, let, I really don't want to upset them. So let me just try to, to make the message of the gospel as nice and as appealing as possible. Not really talk about sin. No, if you love them, you're going to preach it to them. If you love them, you're going to tell them, you know, maybe not in these words, but you're on, you're on your way to hell. You are headed straight to a place of eternal torment. That's what love is. But these guys and others, of course, have twisted love to mean accept, tolerate, uh, don't ever offend. That's what love is to them. And, and to wrap up this mega church point, Jack, it goes back to your point of John 6. They're all about the numbers. That's really what it comes back to is Jesus, Jesus had a mega church at his, at his disposal. Exactly. He had the beginnings of the best mega church of all time, 5,000 people right off the bat. You know, how do you beat that? That's that's fantastic. And he turns almost every single one of them away because they didn't want it. Like to me, that doesn't mean we can't have big churches. It means if they're here for free bread, you don't just give them free bread. So, Jack, your point stands. I mean, I know you mentioned that earlier. And that to me wraps up the mega church side of this movement revisited is just that's where church started to really become a business. That's where people started to recognize we can get a lot of people in. And like you said, the cynical view is they just wanted to get rich. Maybe the kind view is they just thought that more people coming in the doors meant more more opportunity for them to come to Jesus. The problem is they're coming to the false gospel, and there's so much danger in that. We have to avoid that at all costs. For sure. All right, before we get into the emergent movement, and again, this is going to turn into a two-episode uh, one because we've got like six movements left in the next 15 minutes. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, the latest book I just finished. I have a Mark study guide coming out. We're calling it Walking with the Word which Lord willing will be a series we're going to start releasing focus press uh, for Bible classes, for personal study, going through the gospel of Mark. It is 13 chapters. It's, it's broken down into 13 because I know it's a nice, nice tidy quarter. I think it, there's enough in there. You can expand it to two quarters, uh, which I would recommend because getting through 16 chapters of Mark in 13 weeks just doesn't quite do it justice, but uh, it is adaptable in that way. It's something that will really hit the highlights, draw your attention to, some of the things, some of the themes Mark is, is working through, some of the key words, some of uh, the ways he's linking stories together to paint a picture of Jesus. It's a fantastic gospel. Uh, it's based on a sermon series I did and a lot of study and research. And so that is currently up for pre-order on focuspress.org, or you can check our Facebook page where there'll be links to it and all that. Uh, I'm not going to give anything else away, but I am going to say that manuscript has been turned in. Another one's going in today. Uh, Brad and uh, Melinda, he's been talking about their parenting book. That one will be shortly after. And then I've got another one coming. We've got a lot of, of material coming. This is the first of them, the Mark Study Guide. And so 
very excited. Uh, go check that out. Put in a pre-order for your, your personal study, your, your Bible class at church, whatever you would like to use it for. And yeah, keep an eye out on, as always, sign up for our email list on focuspress.org. You get all this information every week so you don't miss a thing. All right, let's get into the emergent church movement, which in some ways is related to some of the compromise we just talked about. But in other ways, it was kind of a an overreaction to the megachurch thing of the 80s and 90s, which is it's all building focus. It was all very corporate, very businesslike. And the emergent was very much the other direction, very a lot of the house church movement, you know, like the last 10, 15 years, that was a big thing of getting away from our buildings and and not even going to church. I mean, people started having churches in bars and things like that. Um, it was a different kind of seeker sensitive, a different kind of appeal. It was it was almost it was jumping off the deep end with the whole it's about relationship rather than religion thing. Whereas we said Tim Keller was still holding on to a lot of religion in what he did. The emergent church almost just threw religion out the window and made it all relationship. So, you know, I know you guys have been reading on this. I've been reading on this. There's some crazy stuff here. I mean, and this is another, you know, by their fruits. It doesn't really exist anymore because all of the leaders probably don't even consider themselves Christians anymore. (laughs) 10, 15 years in. I mean, it's just like I was telling Will, I read a book written around 2010 and this lady was like, you know, every 500 years, there's a big movement. 500 years ago was the Reformation. Well, the one that's coming in 2000 is the emerging church. Like, boy, did you misread that one? But uh, what do you guys Uh, find? I wonder how many members of the church have actually heard of the emerging. Like, it's so uh, obscure now that a lot of people probably haven't heard of it. Um, I'll say that, that like, I haven't heard of it as such, but the influence, man, it it really was and is a thing continuing. Right, right. Um, Joe, I'm not going to steal everything here, but the the biggest thing that I found as I was kind of looking up a lot of this stuff is the association of the emerging church movement with the concept of postmodernism. Now, you know, if you don't yeah. know what postmodernism is, you probably know what it is, maybe just not know its definition. It's kind of the idea that there is nothing objective. There is no truth. Uh, truth is relative, uh, relative to people's experience, relative to people's circumstance, maybe. And it's all kind of kind of warm and fuzzy in a way. Like there's nothing, there's nothing hard. There's nothing objectionable. There's nothing black and white. It's just a lot of gray is a lot of, of what postmodernism is. And so postmodernism, like on universities and such, of course, was used to fuel the idea that we well, can't say your religion is right because what about such and such person's experience? What about such and such, you know, kind of the idea that you've got your truth. I've got mine. Both truths are relative to the individual, the emerging church movement, that idea is heavily associated with postmodernism. The idea that I was reading one thing that the, the way they put it, it's experience over reason, it's subjectivity over objectivity, it's spirituality over religion, as we kind of already discussed. It's it's kind of feelings over truth, and that's what made up a lot of this emerging church movement. wasn't a lot of hard, firm, doctrinal. This is what we believe. In fact, we were talking off air, looking up. Well, what do these guys believe? Kind of hard to find. Like it's kind of hard to nail down. Well, what do these guys actually believe? And I, you know, from, from what I read, they did it that way on purpose. They wanted it to yep. be very kind of out there and abstract. And so um, that's what I'll say on it, Joe. I'll, I'll give it over to you to maybe add to that. But just the idea that there, there was not a lot of objectivity. There was not a lot of cold, hard fact. This is what we believe. This is what's true. It was more of a more of a warm, fuzzy feeling type of thing. Well, the term, and I could be using this wrong, but the term esoteric kind of came to mind for me, which is just kind of in the clouds. Like, you know, it's, we are something right you're like no but exactly abstract (laughs) abstract, but seriously what are you like what what are you going for well rob bell's a big name for him uh love wins 
hell doesn't exist, which is kind of the universalism, right? Everybody's going to heaven, God who's love. There's no way that he would send anybody to hell because love wins, of course. And a lot of even mega church people are like, whoa, 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 time out, tap the brakes on that one, right? Like that that's not right. But this, and and I think Brian McLaren is the other guy that is, Brian McLaren, is a big yeah. name. There's, there's a couple names, but Brian McLaren, he's pro-homosexuality. He's also one that basically doesn't conform to hardly anything. He doesn't push you know, he, he very much pushed love wins, um, arguing for that universalism. I mean, he's a, he's just a, you see these figures and they don't take a stand on anything. And as you said, it's the relationship. And so these are the types that are like, instead of worshiping today, we're going to go out and serve the poor. Now that has the appearance of religion. That has the appearance of like, wow, boy, that is so they're nice. Out they're out there serving. That's they're great. They're out serving yeah. people and really getting these relationships and they'll talk to Jesus while they're doing it. It's like, yeah, but what about worshiping Jesus? That's kind of a big deal. Like we kind of want to do that one, but they'll skip for that. And then again, the home church, there are elements of this that are like, I could get behind that. You know, that seems good. Like the right. they're stripping down worship service to where it's just going down to the basics. Why don't we get back to the basics? And that sounds so good. And so much of this has the appearance of wisdom as you study through. And again, whether you look at Wikipedia, I was reading another great article on it um, that was really kind of digging into the new worldly church from this Baptist site that was breaking it apart. I thought it was very, very interesting and talking about their movement, conversations and journeys and narratives and words like that. Like it has this appearance of wisdom that everybody can get behind. Like we're all on a journey together. Oh, that's right. Brothers preach it. And then, you know, what, what's our journey to really it's towards self-enlightenment, self-fulfillment. Everybody wins. If everybody's going to heaven, then why in the world do I need to follow Christ? Right? So you start to break apart this wise. And, and to me, first Corinthians one comes to mind, maybe first Corinthians two of like, I didn't come to you and with flattering speech. I didn't come to you with these high-minded noble concepts. To me, some of the words that they use, Donald Miller's another guy. I mean, the words they use to captivate you sound very flowery, sound very religious-y, but they do it. And and really it's just humanism, postmodernism, and universalism couched in these or pillowed in these, you know, Christian quote unquote terms. Well, one of the big things they push as well, and one of the big emphasis is ecumenism, the idea of unity among all believers. And so anything that is it, this one kind of somewhat does tie back into the mega church point of they don't really like statements of faith because that's going to draw lines. They, they, they say that's going to kind of alienate people. And so unity is a big point of emphasis with them. And so, you know, regardless of your religious background, you know, that they, they want to push unity above all things. We in the church, we we believe in unity as well, but at what cost? At compromising biblical standards? Well, for the emerging church, they don't really have any standards that they go off of. So it's very easy to kind of widen the arms and bring in, in as many people as you can. That was a big, big point of emphasis with them as well. Yeah. Well, this is interesting because, Jack, and I'll turn it over to you in a second. This is what I was trying to find um, in one of the articles I was reading. Merchant churches are communities that practice the way of Jesus within postmodern cultures. This definition encompasses nine practices. So for those that are going, I still don't know what it is. Here's their nine practices. Um, emerging churches, number one, identify with the life of Jesus. Number two, transform the secular realm. Number three, live highly communal lives. Sounds like a cult, to be honest. Because of these three activities, they, number four, welcome the stranger. Number five, serve with generosity. Number six, participate as producers. Number seven, create as created beings. Number eight, lead as a body. Number nine, take part in spiritual activities. Now, you may listen to that and go, sounds like heaven on earth, man. That's fantastic. Like, we are here to transform the secular realm. We are here to live these communal lives or to welcome the stranger, whatever it is. 
And as this article points out, there's kind of the evangelical and liberal takes on that. The evangelical holds to the gospel in doing this. The liberal take really has nothing to do with the gospel and just wants to be a good person and live these communal lives, which to me really gets into cultish um, type serving of we're all in this together and this, this great community and we live together and we serve together and all this stuff. So it is whichever one you take, somebody may be listening and go, well, they're missing the point of it. Yes. There's a religious element of the emergent church. That's partly what makes this difficult to nail down is they're all over the place. So an emergent church may be one that's just more focused on serving, but they got a lot of things right. Uh, not likely, but more often than not, the emergent church is highly liberal that basically has no use for the gospel. Well, because because there's no grounding, no staking, no creed, no set of beliefs, you're just going to drift. That's just how it works. If there is no anchor on the boat, it drifts because that's the nature of things. And the drift is never going to be in the direction of biblicism. It's going to be the cultural drift. And that's why every one of these leaders is now pro-gay, pro-abortion, pro-everything else. And I'm going to get to that point in a second. So I wanted to read this quote that kind of gives gives explanation of that is this Brian McLaren guy you guys mentioned. I'm sure I'm wrong about many things, although I'm not sure exactly which things I'm wrong about. I'm even sure I'm wrong about what I think I'm right about in at least some cases. And there's a sense in which that's true. On the other hand, if there are not a few foundational things in which you can say this is right and I'm not moving off of it like the resurrection of Jesus, the inspiration of scripture, the existence of the Trinity and uh, the necessity of baptism. And, you know, some of these things, if you don't have those, what's the point? Uh, I could be wrong. Like you got to be, there's a, a point to be dogmatic. You got to be right on something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Will had a great sermon on Psalm five the other day. That's that's up on focus plus. And you got it. David knew when he was in the right. David knew when he was okay with God. And this is kind of that like, well, I don't know if I'm okay with God. So who am I to say that this person? Well, I, it reminds me of the G.K. Chesterton quote about the purpose of an open mind is to eventually chomp down on something solid or, you know, like, or of an open, open mouth, open mind. He's kind of making the analogy there of like, it's not just supposed to stay open forever. Like the point is, that's what he says. The open mind is like the open mouth to, you know, clamp down on something solid. You keep an open mind, yeah, but not forever, not about everything. Like the point is you're looking for truth, not, well, truth can never be found, so I'm just going to swallow anything. It's the search for it, yeah. Right, yeah, it's, it's the search that matters more than that. No, that's not true. And that's, Jesus said, you can know the truth and the truth will set you, uh, you set you free, John 8. And so that attitude of open to everything, I'm not going to say I'm right, I'm not going to say you're wrong, who's to say? Jesus is to say, and it, there's it, no submission in that. It leaves the door wide open for anything and everything, which again, that's what for a lot for a lot of these guys are the cultural issues of the day that, that people are going to divide over. I was reading about McLaren, uh, you know, because I'd heard of Rob Bell, of course, with the Love Wins thing, but I had not heard of McLaren. And he was um, as I was reading, you know, he he eventually uh, recanted his beliefs on homosexuality and came out and said it was no, he did not believe it was a sin. I read something about how his son was a homosexual and he even presided over the him and his or his son and his son's husband's wedding um and so i was looking up some some quotes from him like okay you know how did he get to this point and one of the things i found this is a direct quote from him talking about you know why he now believes it's not a sin he says so i reopened the issue i read a lot of books i restudied the scriptures and i eventually came to the belief that just as the western church had been wrong on slavery wrong on colonialism wrong on environmental plunder wrong on subordinating women wrong on segregation and apartheid all of which it justified biblically I came to the conclusion that we had been wrong on this issue. 
so equating that with slavery, equating that with wow. a lot of all these other things that he claims the Western church had gotten wrong, that was his justification for, you know, all of a sudden being accepting of homosexuality. And as he's talking about, I restudied the scriptures. Which scriptures did you restudy there? Because uh, my understanding of the scriptures is pretty clear. I mean, there there are some things in God's word that are open for debate. There are some things that, hey, you could interpret it one way. I could interpret it a little bit differently. There's, there's room on it. I mean, Romans 14 exists, right? Homosexuality is not one of them. No. You know, be, abortion is not one of them. And so how, hell, in my opinion, is not one of them. Very black and white. But again, a lot of these guys and with this movement, it's a lot of gray. It's a lot of, well, you know, maybe we misunderstood this or maybe it's not quite as black and white. And to Jack's point, no, it is black and white. It is very clear how God feels about things that are abominations to him. And homosexuality is one of them. Any kind of movement where they're wanting to blur the lines and make it less black and white and more gray, this is what you see where one of the big names in the movement is all of a sudden presiding over his son's homosexual marriage union. Again, as we started talking about, what are the fruits? That's the fruits. That's what we see from from stuff like this. I'm going to do the grand unifying theory thing again, but it's all coming to me at, like in real time here. So hopefully this this works out and makes sense. You know, I wrote my book, Church Reset, released in 2020, and it was about the church becoming a family and growing closer together and all that. And a lot of people with emergent tendencies were like, this is great. You know, people who had kind of gone away from established religion and stuff like that. And it was kind of like, no, I, I didn't mean you, which is why I'm trying to get this second follow up book out on the other side, because it's you need hierarchy. You need leadership. You need, if not a creed, a set of beliefs that, you know, what we believe page, which is not a creed at all. Of course not. But, you know, you need that that belief system because this this whole questioning thing is to say, I'm not going to have that. We're, we're not going to do those things where it, it's up to you, because what you're hearing in his words there is critical theory. There's so much wokeness, you know, the the bringing up our colonialism and and uh, these the guys are all women, right? yeah these guys are all BLM people the oppression of women and the downtrodden and the poor and Jesus cared about the poor he does care about the poor but these people are all socialists i mean very much socialists very uh they're, they're all communist socialists wrong on every single issue right and, <laughs> yeah. and, and i mean and that's critical theory is marxism but the thing about critical theory, the whole oppressor oppressed dynamic thing and all that is trying to abolish authority. And, you know, what communism always sells its people on is we're going to get rid of all authority. And I think some people look at, at even things like church reset like that of, yeah, we're all going to be the same. No, we're not. Because when you look in the Bible, where did the whole, hey, we're all going to be the same and there's not going to be anybody better than anybody else start? Came out of the mouth of a snake. OK, that's where it started. And so when you see these people doing this of, I don't, my truth is not better than your truth. Yeah. I mean, it's the serpent talking again. And so it's the same play being drawn up in a culturally palatable way that speaks towards people's liberal tendencies and the critical theory and the Marxism and all that, where it sounds good. And, and we did that episode on, uh, on how progressivism tricks honest Christians. It's always emotionally manipulative. It's always, man, you're standing for, for the racial minorities. You're standing for the sexual minorities. You're standing for the downtrodden and the oppressed. And you're, you're, you're the good guy. You're the hero in this story. And no, you're just being used as a pawn the same way the serpent right. used Eve to destroy her husband's hierarchy structure and God's hierarchy structure. And that's what these guys did. I've got a Rob Bell quote that ties directly to that. Um, of course, he's pro-gay as well. 
He says, some people are gay and you're our brother and you're our sister and we love you. We love, and talking about gay people, we love you and you're passionate disciples of Jesus, just like I'm trying to be. So let's all get together and try to do something about the truly big problems in our world. Evidence is exactly what, what Jack said. We're, we're all the same. We're all equal. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's fresh. Good. I had this conversation with a guy who was very much tapped into this, a guy who, you know, a friend shout out, I'm not going to name him. He he's an anon, uh, very, very great guy, uh, who grew up in this world and has come out of it. Um, you know, all of his friends. And he, he said at, at church, the youth group, they were handing him Brian McLaren books and all that. And he was talking about there. I, I said, where's their line? Will there, is there a point at which they'll stop? Okay. Gay, homosexual, the minor attracted persons, AKA pedophilia. Are they, are these people going to stop me? Like, all right, not that one. Why? doesn't seem the, like it. Because right. the, the principal structural framework of everything they do is that I'm going to, we got to wrap and then put this into part two. I'm going to say one more thing before we get out of here. I put a, a little bit of a caution on Facebook the other day about the Bible project. People got mad. The Bible project is very popular. They do some really neat videos, some really good biblical stuff. Listen to Tim Mackey. He's not far from these people. Okay. He is very much a critical theorist. He's very much down the same line as, you know, the, the oppressed oppressor stuff, all of the same, you know, like the, who are we to say kind of thing. Uh, he's already equivocated on hell. He's very close to equivocating on LGBT stuff. Be careful who you listen to. This stuff is so infiltrating. And again, you say, well, this isn't in the church of Christ. Look at how many preachers preach BLM sermons in 2020. It's from the same stuff. It's from, you know, critical theory is all through our church. It's the way we talk about women and, and women's roles in the church. And we're always apologizing. Uh, this stuff is really heavily there. So that's where uh, my last thing. Uh, we got to wrap and get out of here. But anything else? I was just going to say, that, uh, Joe, you've been, Joe's been quiet for a bit. So, Joe, you can wrap us if you want. What I was going to end with is, is people are wondering, okay, why does this matter? We're not members of mega churches. We're not part of the emerging church movement. So, honestly, who cares? Exactly what Jack said is why it matters. It's exactly why we should cares because as we tried to illustrate throughout this episode, you see tenets of this in the church of Christ. And it's a whole lot more subtle. It's a maybe, maybe dip more difficult to see because we're not out here, you know, hopefully pulpits aren't out here saying, you know, gay people have more faith than us. However, it's the it's the principles behind it that are leaking into the church in, in the ways that we see, which is the reason for caution, which is the reason for we gotta get up here and preach against this partial Christianity, this half-hearted Christianity. We have to preach against this, this redefinition of the word love. We have to preach against this universalism that again, is never going to come out and be as blatantly stated as these, all these guys, Rob Bell, Andy Stanley, all these guys is not going to ever be as openly stated. But when we have churches that won't get up and talk about what a, a solid Christian marriage should look like, what the role should be. When we have churches that won't get up and talk about, these are the ways you should be raising your kids. When we have churches that won't get specific on anything, it's because they don't want to offend. It's because they don't want to run people off. It's because they, they want to have mass appeal. And so again, it's a different form of what we've talked about here, but man, you see a lot of the same, I shouldn't say a lot. You see some of the same principles that are being driven into churches with the whole, once again, we're all the same. The person who is faithfully here raising faithful kids, faithfully married to his wife, he's just as good as the person who's barely here on his second wife and doesn't have faithful kids. No, he's not. That's that's not what we see biblically, and yet that's the message that a lot of churches are preaching. So I just wanted to say that as kind of a caution, or I guess as a message of why are we talking about it? This is why we're talking about it, and this is why it matters. Joe, anything to wrap us with? I'll get into it more next time. 
I think there's a reason why people are drawn specifically toward these. And I think it's an overcorrection. It's an overreaction, but it's an overreaction to the fifties, the pound on the Bible and you're all going to hell because you're, you know, you, you one time did something, you know, you said something wrong one time you're going to hell. And I think there's a reason these things attract people. Yes. They want to have their ears tickled. Yes. There's all of that. Everything we're speaking to. There's also a human element present, which is, you know what the, the Bible thumping, you're all going to hell because you're not like me. I think there's an appeal to, Hey, let's go out and serve the poor. No church of Christ hardly does that. It's only the liberal ones that do that. It's only the ones that we go, oh, see, they're, short, they're, they're, you know, cheating doctrine. That's our problem. We can get into it more in the next one because, again, we're out of time. But I do think there is a reason why the emergent church was appealing to people is because they looked around and said, my church loves to talk about baptism for the 40th time in a row and, pound, you know, beat our own chest type of thing and talk about, ooh, ooh, look how great we are. Um, not beat our chest in a contrite way, but talk about how great we are. And there are other people that are actually seemingly doing more in serving the world. Right. And so it has merit to that value, uh, not doctrinally at all, but I wanted to kind of bring that other side of it in. Like these things are big for a reason. We'll wrap there though. I think we can get into it more. We got uh, in part two, because Jack mentioned it. I think we got like four others to discuss. Um, of, Preview of some of them for, for our yeah, for our yeah. So the other one that we could have gotten into, I think it ties in directly with this, is that radical crazy love, the, the David Platt, Francis Chan, um, hey, you need to sell everything and, and move across the world and become a missionary. I think there's that's a very interesting movement that took place. The Quiverful movement, the Doug Phillips, Bill Gothard, uh, the Duggar, right? They were all part of this Quiverful movement. We want to get into that. A couple others, Jack had referenced, I guess, dating goodbye. There's another one we'll get into as well. So, right? yeah, the courtship movement. Um, yeah, we're excited about it. We'll we'll kind of once again look at the fruits. Way, what do we think? Good, bad, otherwise. But uh, fellas, anything else? I'm going to say five seconds here. 10 seconds. <laughs> okay. The problem is I'm not counting. people who, you know, Tim Keller and these people. The problem is the people in the middle where there is the emotional appeal of this other side and people like us who stand up and say, that's wrong. And this is it. And you know what we get? Yeah, but boy, it's, it's kind of mean. I don't really like the fighting. And so oh, both please, of these sides, I don't like either of these sides. It's going to take confrontation. Okay. And you've got to get a stomach for it or these guys win. That's just how it goes. It's true. That really was 10 seconds. Nice work. I did it. Nice work. That's pretty good. He's used to uh, keeping it short, like on Twitter. He's a Twitter celebrity, apparently. Not at all. No, <laughs> short and concise. Going back, not going back to Tim Keller. Keller. Yeah. Oh, all right, true. man. That, that was many years ago, many accounts ago. Yes. All right. Let's get out of here. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next week.